Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's episode 92 of the McCovey Croncast, the only San Francisco Giants podcast that wonders, Hey Gabe Kapler, where'd you get those eyeglasses? I'm Brian Murphy, Giants appreciator, and with me is Doug Brizzoni, who writes his own Giants blog, giantsdoug.substack.com. Doug, we're recording this as Adam Wainwright no-hits the Giants on Sunday Night Baseball in a game they're losing 4-0, certainly suggesting that they'll finish the week 4-2, 4-2, but uh, how are you feeling after about our favorite team after this week? Uh, you, you know, I'm feeling better than I did last week. I mean, you would think... Actually, this time last week I was feeling okay because they'd won two in a row, and now it's looking like they're going to lose two in a row, uh, which, you know, I had more hope last week. I was like, they turned it around, and now I'm like, oh, they turned it around again, uh, right. and they shouldn't have. They turned right because, back around. <laughs> because now it's 5 nothing in the game that we're watching. Yeah, Carlos Rodon is, Rodon is having his first bad start as a giant. It's unfortunate that it's uh, uh, in front of a national audience in St. Louis against Adam Wainwright as the opposing pitcher who's throwing, I think he's throwing 84 mile an hour spitballs uh, yeah. past the Giants. Um, yeah. He's basically just embarrassing them. He's throwing them left-handed actually. Yeah. Just saying, I yeah. dare you. I dare you. You know, but after Anthony Rendon hit, Rendon had a left-handed home run the other night in a, a meaningless game. I mean, that's, might as well see more of that. If you're going to disrespect the opponent or just have fun out there, have fun. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's the new market inefficiency. <laughs> that's right. But a six, but a six-game winning streak, uh, starting with the Buster Posey game, to kind of write things a little bit here. I'm assuming they're going to lose tonight. So as people are listening to this, the Giants are 20 and 14, and you know, solidly in third place in the NL West. Uh, they are, like you said, they've turned it around. I think in large part because they're coming back to full strength. Uh, Evan Longoria is back. Brandon Belt's back. Uh, uh, there's someone I'm clearly missing off the top of my head, but uh, there are 16 transactions this past week. And as I said, right before we started recording to Doug, that the, it could have been 19 if I had counted last Sunday, but instead uh, I stuck stuck for Monday on 16 transactions that the Giants made this week. Like I said, Evan Longoria being activated was one of those, but the main one I think we're all going to remember a couple weeks from now, at least, is uh, trading Mauricio Dubon. Uh, trade him to the Astros for switch inning catcher Michael Papirski. That's how I'm saying his name. If it's pronounced wrong, correct me. But yeah, 16 transactions. Dubon is gone. Doug, before I 
before I let you talk more than I usually do. <laughs> no, my question is this. How many Giants, uh, how many players are left from the big trade deadline splurge that the Giants went on in 2019? Um, how many that they traded for? Because Dubon was one of them, not necessarily the biggest play, name of that day. Uh, Jalen Davis uh, was DFA'd and the Red Sox picked him up. Um, so who's left from that day? If you Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, so, because they also traded Freelander Barroa, who I think they got as part of the Sam Dyson deal. That's right. The Sam Dyson deal, there is a player left from that. Yeah, and there's one other deal. Yeah. I'm trying to find his name because I I googled him and it, I had his name wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is it Kaiwen Tang? That's right, Kaiwen like Tang. Kaiwen Tang. Yeah. yeah. And then they have. Uh, I think they have, is Tristan Beck still around? They still have Tristan. Somehow Tristan Beck is still yeah. around. And also, I do want to push back on one thing. I think the main thing people remember from this week is when the Giants traded uh, Mike Ford back to the Mariners. <laughs> Who they, they just acquired him from. I yes. think that's going to be memorable for a long time. That's right. They've they made three trades with the uh, Mariners this week. That's 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 that uh, we'll get into that in just a second. But uh, <laughs> it's it's sort of bizarre to think about uh, all the all the trading with this one team. But anyway, uh, there's yeah, I mean, Mauricio Dubon, why does this feel like it stings a little bit? I mean, we don't. I think we agree. He's he, he's whatever. He's the twenty sixth man or twenty fourth through twenty sixth man. Uh, yeah, but- I mean, he was. You know, he was. He's fun. He seemed nice. He seemed like he had potential. He wasn't that good necessarily. No, but he could have been <laughs> right. maybe. Uh, but he wouldn't have been. But he could have been. Right. You know. He's one I of those. Think, yeah, and and I believe it was Baggerly who pointed out that the Giants sort of had to pick between he him he and Tyro Estrada. They're Tyro Estrada, they're basically in the same boat, saying no they're out of options, they're middle infielders. Although I've I can't recall the last time we've seen Estrada play the outfield. But uh, you know, at least with Dubon, he had that center field option going on, which was interesting. Um, and the Giants just made their call. Uh, who knows how it's gonna work out. I guess, you know, if they really thought that Estrada and Dubon's ceilings are basically the same, then yeah, those aren't necessarily two great players that you that you need to hold on to when you're out of options and you have a roster crunch. But yeah, his enthusiasm, the pictures of him uh, during the Giants early uh, 2010, you know, the championship run then. Yeah, there's definitely that feeling of, even though he's not, you know, he wasn't originally from this country, that it's sort of a hometown player situation. Um, it's a bummer. But also... We'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the the 16 transactions that came out of it, uh, the Giants basically trading for a left-handed uh, middle infielder and um, uh, Donovan Walton, and they got a right-handed outfielder, Stuart Fairchild, and then for Dubon from the Astros, they got a switching catcher. And, you know, although Papirski is not actually strictly a catcher, he's also playing first base, he's DHing a lot. Uh, so it looks like the only thing I can really see from all these players is their hit profile matches what the Giants are basically looking for. They can kind of control the strike zone a little bit, um, and maybe they can retool the swings a little bit to, although with Stuart Fairchild, I saw he hits the ball in the air a lot. So, you know, I think there's, they're like, these are, this is the raw material we prefer to work with. Let's just stack our 40 men with guys with that material that we could use. 
So yeah, I mean, it's clear that that's the tool that they're focusing on. They trade for guys like, well, we need guys who can do this, and then maybe we'll make them better, maybe we won't. They're not giving up a ton, and so no. they're just sort of taking their shot. Um, and I, I do want to say, by the way, a guy they traded for not this previous week, but the one before, Isan Diaz. Uh, I, I saw him in Sacramento. He was fun. Like he, he looks. I liked him. Uh, so I'm saying he's going to be a, a superstar now uh, because I, like I watched it. him. I watched him play two games in AAA, and so I'm <laughs> sold. And I believe he plays all the infield positions. Maybe not so much shortstop. I think he plays first, second, and third. I think that's. I what feel it. like he does play shortstop, uh, but maybe not, it's second, third, and short. Yeah, not exclusively. Um, he might. I I don't remember that well. You know, well, you you heard it here first. Uh, all yeah. star in the making, Isan Diaz. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I mean, there. This is all sort of. You know, the Giants are essentially buying players who other teams are discarding. We talked about this last week and the week before. But it, what's interesting um, to me, I, I don't like saying we've we've talked about this before, haven't we? Like, it's interesting. And then we say whatever it's what is interesting to me. I should get into <laughs> delve into that deeper is the idea that the Mariners and Giants are actually they found some sort of a loophole or gaming the transaction system. And I'm going to bring up Andrew Baggerly's quotes uh, from just a few days ago. Uh, He says it's he said, really, though, it's remarkable. Oh, I said the Giants and Mariners made yet another trade today. Giants get infielder Donovan Walton for right-hander Prelander Baroa. Infielder Mike Ford has been designated for assignment to make room for Walton on the 40-man roster. And then, as Doug mentioned, the Giants basically traded Mike Ford back for cash considerations. Maybe it was the same amount of money that they that they uh, that they paid to get it originally. And then Baggerly continued, really, though, it's remarkable how the Giants and Mariners got together to skirt the new, quote, you can't DFA and later reclaim a guy rule by just trading people back and forth. They've created their own loophole. And so what what is what I kind of stuck to is uh, it, it kind of for for whatever uh, for whatever reason, it's reminded me of sort of like finance bro stuff or like, you know, barrel, barrels of oil get traded so many times to like up the value. Except here, there doesn't seem to be any value increasing. It's still Mike Ford at the end of the day. <laughs> but you know, it's it's interesting. It, just the idea that teams are uh, basically creating or finding loopholes in the new transaction rules. There's also sort of the you can only uh, what is it option a guy five times a year, in a season now. Uh, he can only you know a, a major league option. If you don't know players, you know. Team drafts them. They have six years of control, and three times in those six years, they can use an, a minor league option. The option's good for the whole season. They use them in, but now there's sort of a new sub rule to that, which is yes, you can use that. That option is good for the season, but only within that season can you uh, send a guy down and and uh, five times. And I think there's also another rule, like he has to be down for at least ten days unless he's replacing someone on, that goes on the injured list. So there's sort of all these transactional parts of it. So if you're trying to skirt the option rules of sending a guy five, down five days, you could just trade him back and forth with another team that has a roster spot that can accommodate him. Then you're not actually – so it that that to me is sort of uh, what's sticking out is sort of, oh, here's here's the smart, the smart teams finding this other thing that's – dehumanizing let's face it how much baseball is mike ford playing during all this maybe a lot maybe not but it's also he doesn't know what's going on 
with where he, where am I going to play for the rest of the year? Where do I live? You know, and that was what the five uh, options were supposed to sort of also help with because players were getting jerked around. And so my final thought on that is the, that is also interesting is I can't believe the giants are in the forefront of this. <laughs> oh, I, I can. I mean, it's like you said, Farhan's the smartest man to ever be involved with professional baseball. Anyone who's going to figure out this loophole, it was going to be him. Um, I mean, but that's, that's what happens, right? You make, Baseball makes rules to try to make things better and teams find a way to make things convenient for themselves. Right. So they trade, they trade Mike Ford back and forth and back and forth. uh, And they tell him, no, no, no. It's just a team really wants you. He's like, but it's the same team. It's always the same team. I don't feel like anybody wants me that much. I feel like you're just trying to not lose me. It was just weird. I say interesting, but it's also it's just a reminder that as baseball fans, as much as we want to root for the players, we shouldn't. So, <laughs> they're they're just widgets. We're just watching. We're just rooting for laundry. So <laughs> that's a, it was. It's a bit of a bummer, but also, you know, like who did it help? I guess it helped the Giants feel like they were putting fielding a better lineup a couple of games. Yeah, and that, it, that's it about made it. The, yeah. Made the Giants lineup three percent better. Yes. On two games in two in one game or whatever than it otherwise would have been. And that's all Farhan really wants to do is just make everything better for one game. That's how that's how he thinks, right? Like yeah. the, what he does with the roster is he makes the tiniest improvements to make it better. And, and if that's what he thinks is gonna happen, that's what's gonna happen. They play the Rockies at home. And you know, we've talked about this. Rockies fans hate when the Rockies play in San Francisco. And I feel like most Giants fans, we have this weird bias. It's like, no. The Rockies always seem to get the better of the Giants, but that's not statistically true <laughs> at home. Uh, no, at no, not in San Francisco. It is yeah. not close to true there. Yeah, but it just feels that way. But if, I, I think for me, it's because they did that that big stupid sweep that one one season where they had those three comeback uh, in, a, in a row. They beat a team they should beat, and they beat them very good, uh, very handily. But what stood out to you this this week? Um, I mean, yeah, pretty much they they had that winning streak. Uh, they added on late. I mean, that's when when the Giants are going good, they will score a lot of runs in the late innings. Um, whether the whether it's a close game or whether they're, they're up by a little bit, um, either way, it's good. By the way, I'll take it either either way. I'm not. That's right. Complaining. Uh, I dare you, Giants, to go up nine nothing after two innings. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean that's. If you want to start seeing the Giants look like they did last year, it's going to be the offense that needs to start showing up like that. Um, and for for the first four games of this week, they did. And in the last couple of games, and again, we're in the bottom of the fourth of Sunday's game right now, uh, and the Giants do not have a hit. So we're just we're just taking a stab at this one. Uh, in the last two games, they didn't. Um, they the Cardinals had a good game plan, or uh, the Giants just just hit into some bad luck. So on on Saturday's game, in Saturday's game. They did hit into, bad, some, into some bad luck. You know, the base is loaded for Belt with uh, with one out, and he hit the ball hard, but he hit it on the ground right to the sec- right to the shortstop. I think he was playing right, maybe the second baseman, shortstop, playing uh, playing right behind second base, who had a pretty easy double play. But, I mean, he did what he's supposed to do. He got into a good count. He hit the ball hard. It just didn't go their way. Um, Wainwright has been dominant so far tonight, so that's not the same situation. Uh, but mostly the the bats have been looking better than they did over the first month or so of the season. It I do want I do wonder if they get shut out in back-to-back games and just don't look competitive at all while they're hitting if if 
there is, if the Cardinals did find some sort of tweak against them, I just don't think that's the case. <laughs> no, so, I think I think it's just Cardinal. <clears throat> it's uh, Cardinal Devil Magic. Yeah, and and playing in front of a national audience, which we know kind of stunts the Giants. It makes, but I think it's great in the I regular season. Yes, the right. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think it's amazing where people are like, ah, the Giants. And then when the postseason starts, people are like, how? How are they doing this? I saw them on national TV twice, and they look terrible. And Giants fans like, yes, they did. Yes, they looked complete trash. But now, now that yeah. trash is winning. It's beating you. Ha-ha. It's, so, it's the same thing they do when they want to uh, to open the year on the road and finish at home. They're like, well, we want to open the year by being terrible on national television and that's then right. finish that's by right. being good. <laughs> Uh, my takeaway from this week is sort of based on the fact that I couldn't really watch these games. I listened to them all on radio and I had a tweet where I said, John Miller has Garrick energy. This is our first Star Trek reference of the season of the new season. But uh, the listening to the games on the radio, it was just magical. It was just amazing that we are living. And I know we've said this before. We're living. We're very fortunate to be Giants fans in this time. Because on both sides of the broadcast, uh, you know, watching on TV, listening on the radio, if you're mowing your lawn, doing chores, whatever, you are, it, it's, they're all distinct personalities. They're all fantastic to listen to. The, the fact that they change it up in the middle of the game, it, it, it keeps every broadcast with a good energy, even when things aren't going so well. Uh, so that, that to me was sort of, what I enjoyed the most, John Miller, I feel like he had a, a – John Miller had an amazing week. The Giants had a pretty good week. John Miller had an amazing week of broadcasting on the radio. Uh, so that's what stood out for me the most. feels like Logan Webb's finding himself still a little bit. Um, I guess the result was a little bit better than he's had in his prior few starts. But I think you know the fact that his slider isn't zipping as much and it looks like he's lost a, a mile an hour off his fastball off a sinker. I mean, uh, that seems to also be affecting it. Um, so I, I believe I, one of the tweets were there might be some concerns about his workload, uh, from last year into this year, which makes perfect sense to me, but he just doesn't look quite as good. And then I think Radon was just due for a really bad start like this. Um, also Alex, Alex Wood battling being kind of being forced to pitch the sixth inning because they're like Gabe Cap was saying like, you know what? <laughs> You you got to do this. We need you to. Uh, you know what, Alex? I'm going to make you smoke every sixth <laughs> inning in this pack until you learn your lesson. That's right. Uh, you know, Alex Wood is a pretty. He's a remarkable starter. Uh, the thing that I mean, the thing about his Giants tenure to me has been that he's been much healthier with them, knocking on wood, than he has previously in his career. And I also am surprised by how it's basically once you get through four innings with him. Now it's time to have the bullpen ready. I don't think I realized how how much that uh, that is with him, um, but yeah. That, and with Radon, I think that's also the case. Uh, where after about five, you know, once you get into the fifth inning, it's he's usually just throwing a lot of pitches. But again, Radon had a good start where he battled back after a a, a bad start to it. So, starting pitching and John Miller, those are my standouts for the week. We're back, and the Giants announced uh, early in the week that they have formed an exclusive partnership with William Morris Entertainment, William Morris Endeavor Entertainment Sports Property Solutions Team. And basically they've 
contracted a company out to help them figure out who's going to give them $20 million a year for the patch on the Giants jersey. In case you didn't know, Major League Baseball has pushed or opened it up so that uniforms can now basically have sponsorship patches on them, like you've seen in soccer, like you've seen in the NBA. The Padres, I believe, are the only team that's actually announced theirs. It's Motorola, which I surprise Motorola is still around. Um, <laughs> well, I know when I think of the San Diego Padres, I think of Motorola. It's a, it's a really natural pairing to me. I'm going to read this article real quick, and then uh, I want to hear what your thoughts are. So WME Sports wins latest agency shootout for MLB Giants patch. This was published on the 11th. Endeavor's WME Sports has won an agency shootout to sell the MLB Giants jersey ad patch. Quote, we're looking at this bringing in a new partner that could potentially have as much impact as a naming rights partner, said WME Sports Senior VP and Division Head of Property Solutions, Joe Janiszewski. Uh, the Giants patch will be sold as part of a, quote, principal partner package with additional marketing assets, including signage, digital and experiential marketing opportunities. We're looking at this as something that could have major community connections, hospitality components and entitlement, not just on the uniform, but possibly at Oracle Park also, said Januski, who previously sold for the Rangers, Red Sox and Padres. He wouldn't reveal pricing for the Giants patch beyond, quote, getting as much as we can. But industry estimates were that the Giants patch could fetch 20 million or more per annum. By way of comparables, the Warriors NBA patch deal is one of the league's biggest although it was packaged with assets including entitlement to the team's practice facility. Quote, all those developing Silicon Valley tech companies need to brand themselves. We hope one will see the value of aligning with the home team, Janiszewski said. MLB patches a hot commodity. The 4 by 4 inch ad patches won't be on MLB jersey sleeves until next season. Only the Padres have announced a patch deal with Motorola so far, but sales activity around the new asset has been brisk, and in most cases, asking prices are exceeding what MLB teams are already receiving for their naming rights sponsorships. Competition among agencies to sell the patches has been tight, and it'll be interesting to see whether the patches are largely sold to local, national, or even global global brands, as is the case with many of the NBA jersey ad patches. Well, if you look at that... You know, you, you listen to that and you think the Giants are trying to sell it to big tech companies, right? right. So you think of you think of Google, you think of uh, Facebook or, or Meta, whatever, whatever they're calling themselves. Uh, you think of Apple. I think they're going to go with a different tech company. I think they're going with Theranos. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, it's a... The dream isn't dead? The dream isn't dead. They're, they're disruptors, just like <laughs> Farhan's a disruptor. Uh, they, I think they have a lot in common. I think it's a natural pairing. Uh, especially if the Giants uh, accept payment in Theranos's proprietary blood coin, which I think they <laughs> should. You know, I think it's it's the wave of the future. So they're going to mint blood coin. Yeah, they're going to mint blood coin, uh, and then accept payment in it. <laughs> I mean, if because you know at first it's not going to be worth much, right? It'll be worth a tenth of a cent per coin, but then if it really takes off, the Giants will have so much more money. That's right. <laughs> so you'd be stupid not to do it, really. Uh, I definitely hooked on that part of it where this guy, you know, Janiszewski, he said, we're looking at this, uh, you know, plus tech companies basically without logos and branding, which it's sort of isn't aren't all tech companies right now, essentially in this era, fly by night companies. 
So a tech company that hasn't been properly branded is more, you know, we're looking at pets.com situations, you know. <laughs> I, you know, know I feel like tech companies are mostly branding at this point. That's that. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's true, too. It's like if they did have the Google patch on it, first of all, why would Google sponsor, uh, put a patch on the sports team? I feel like that brand's pretty well established, but you never know. Um, it, this is just money the players won't see. It's another thing to keep in mind. It's just a, it's more non-baseball revenue that gets, you know, whenever people complain that the players make too much, it's sort of, I promise you, the, the owners are making more. Right. And, it's, you know, the, the owners were already making like $60 million a year, a year just on national TV deals. Now they're making another $20 million on advertising patches on the uniforms. And that's money that the players just don't see. Yeah. So, uh, like, let's take a team like the like the Pirates. The Pirates get $60 million a year from from the national media deal. That Their team will never be in the playoffs, but they still get $60 million because the rights get those rights that money gets pulled they get probably from their local broadcast rights so whatever poor cable company is broadcasting pirates games uh, you know that's probably 30 million dollars maybe 25 um and then and then you get if you sell a patch you know maybe the pirates aren't as hot a commodity but let's still say 20 million is is about the floor you know you're basically at 100 million dollars uh and, and that's before ticket sales and any other revenue streams that that I'm not even thinking of jersey sales you know there's other licensing deals that they have with those video games and all that 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 goes to the league um and you know th- that's just it's basically free money it's the privilege of owning a baseball team <laughs> you know and you hold a gun to you know the A's you hold a gun to the mun- municipality's head to build you a stadium and either they do or they don't i mean that's i think that's for a while been why the Giants have been why most of us have been able to stick up for the Giants, right? They're like, well, they didn't extort San Francisco to build the stadium. Now we're like, well, now they're using all the money that Giants fans have been giving them to undermine the country. But before that, <laughs> they weren't doing that. I, we're, it's blood coin, as Doug said. So you heard it here first. He saw Diaz all-star for the San Francisco <laughs> blood coins. Uh, coming I, at I you. think... You know, I'd be irresponsible if I didn't mention. I think there is one other possibility. Um, it's a long-established company, organization, whatever you want to call it, but it's very forward-thinking. They've had a lot of success recently. I think they're looking to branch out and spread their influence, and that's the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> I think uh, I think it would be a power move for the Dodgers <laughs> to buy a uniform patch on the Giants' uniforms. Um, I, I, I think yeah. you'd have to respect it. That's right. I, they have the money. They could do it very easily. <laughs> they use those Bauer bucks to, exactly. uh, to buy that patch. What if it was just Trevor Bauer? So <laughs> what if Trevor Bauer just said, oh, for $22 million a year, you have to wear my face on your jersey? There would. would probably There would definitely be a team that would take – the Reds would take that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be most of – that would be one fan they get per game, which would be huge for them. I was trying point. to avoid putting an explicit tag on on this podcast, this episode. So I'll just figure out a way to word it without saying it strongly. I, I just need it to be known in case you were wondering. It is the official position of the McCovey Croncast that Trevor Bauer is an enormous piece of crap. <laughs> Garbage. Yes, yes, yes. A piece of shoot. Yes, a piece of... Sh- Gosh darn it. Uh, Gosh, yeah. that guy. Yeah. 
So that with that said, let's go to your listener questions. We we fetched uh, fetched some uh, this past week. Doug, thank you for your help. Uh, tagging Steve Svensson really really helped. Really brought it home. So we have a few questions. You're gonna answer the you're gonna answer these first, Doug. So the first question. Oh, I gotta do a little editing here though. So Steve, we're not gonna use all your questions. Um, the the first one you asked, I, I can't. It's too much. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm not freaking out about McGee, but I also have been listening to Eno say for a long time that he just shouldn't be as good as his results. Of course, Eno, this is Eno Saris, uh, has always said this in a nice way. How concerned are you that he just isn't a high leverage arm any longer? Uh, yeah, I mean, this year he hasn't been. Um, you know, we we talked about this already, I think in the first episode we did when we did That's the right. bullpen uh, rankings. Uh, but he lost a mile off his fastball and he's not getting swing throughs on it. Like he used to, he's not, he, it just doesn't have the the power that it did last year. Um, that being said, you know, he's, he's on the IL right now. Hopefully they'll give him some rest and a little bit of a few rehab appearances to sort of work things out and he'll come back and he'll look better. But uh, until we see those results, I would say, yeah, he's not a high leverage arm. No, I mean, what was encouraging about his appearance, and again, we don't have to find something positive to say, but there was. He was throwing 96 on Monday night. Okay, Steve also asked, which Expanse character is Buster Posey, and why is it James Holden? Bonus, which Expanse character is Jock Peterson, and why is it Christian Avasarella? Doug, I need to ask because I should have just started before I even asked you to come back. If you're interested, I should have asked you, have you seen The Expanse? I have not. Okay, this is a great moment for me to say during the pandemic, <laughs> during during lockdown, I became very, uh, very close with, very acquainted with a television show called The Expanse, which was originally on the science fi- uh, sci-fi channel. Then it migrated over to Amazon, and it's recently wrapped up a six-year run. Uh, the last three were on Amazon. So the last season just aired not too long ago. It's based on a, a long-running book series that also came to an end this year, 10 books. Uh, it is the spiritual successor to Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, I think is probably fair to say. And it it captured my heart and my soul, and it opened my mind, and it blew me away. And I can't recommend it strongly enough. If you love science fiction, it's close. It tries to be closer to the hard science fiction. So there's no like transporters and warp drive and all that. And, you know, it has its own science fiction flourishes. Uh, one of the Star Trek Next Generation writers was the showrunner. So it has some vague uh, which, echoes Which one? Nareen Shankar. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it has some touchstones. It has some, uh, when I watched it, I was maybe looking for Star Trek connections because of he was writing on it, but you know, it's, they're adapting novels and it's one of the better adaptations of a book series. And I just loved it. Um, my only recommendation, it has kind of a wire issue. You kind of need to watch the first two or three episodes if you are interested. And then I kind of think if after the third episode, you're not into it, I'm not one of those people like keep watching it's like, no, it's like The Wire. It's like, you have to watch the first four. If you don't like it after the first four, then fine, you're done. But uh, anyway, so The Expanse science fiction show, and uh, I love it. James Holden, who Steve compares to Buster Posey, is basically the the Boy Scout, the one that always tries to do the right thing. Um, 
yeah, that's probably the closest one. But he's also not so pure-hearted. James Holden in the show, like, you know, Buster Posey seems pure-hearted. But again, as Doug pointed out last week, that tan was pretty suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't trust a swarthy Italian like that. Yeah, there, there must be some darkness in there, but that would also match up with James Holden. So, and then Christian Avasarella, she's uh, this Indian woman who swears a lot. <laughs> and she's the head of the United Nations, um, or she's like one of the higher-ups. And is Jock, Jock Peterson sassy? Oh, that's what it is. It's the sassiness connection. I could see that. Well, since Doug hasn't seen The Expanse, we can't sit there and lay it all out. But anyway, if you are interested in science fiction shows and you do like something that's more space operatic, I highly recommend it. I also recommend it's not a space opera. It's, it's an alternate future show that you should also watch for all mankind if people haven't been watching that. That's on Apple TV+. Plus. And that's fantastic as well. If nothing else, I got some science fiction recommendations out for people. So That's true. That's important. I should say Strange New Worlds, the new Star Trek show that's that's a stealth reboot of the original series. Um, the first episode I saw was pretty good too. So, But all three of these, although most people have Amazon Prime versus the other two, Apple TV Plus and Paramount Plus people probably don't have. So Yeah, I don't have either of yeah. those. The Expanse um, is there. Check it out. I Highly recommend it. All right. I'm going to stick with the Star Trek idea. Uh, Andrew Bader asks, what Star Trek DS9 characters would most closely match with the current Giants roster? And then basically he says, mostly I want to know who is Quark and who is Morn. So, yeah, if you don't know, if you're listening and you're, you're, you're fading away quickly, Morn is basically the alien version of Norm from Cheers. But the Star Trek wrinkle was that he just never spoke, but he was always at the bar. And you just saw him there. Quark was the bartender. He owned the bar. But he was also this, uh, he's part of an alien race called the Ferengi. The Ferengi are a purely capitalist culture. Um, So knowing those two things, that's a tough one because the Giants roster isn't quite, doesn't feel quite as set as Deep Space Nine, but. I'm interested to hear if you can think of anyone who matches. I mean, so obviously for Morn, the first thing you think is who is the most silent person on the Giants? Yeah. Um, and it's tough, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't have a great sense of who on there wouldn't talk. It, but Although that's a good... I have to say, on Deep Space Nine, they are always saying, God, Morn is so talkative, he just won't shut up. That's right. That's, that's a recurring joke. joke they have. You just never see it. Well, And to me, what that means... Uh, is that someone who only talks when the cameras aren't on. And if you've ever seen the interviews that Jock Peterson gives, he, d- he says as little as possible when they ask him questions, but he talks a lot in the clubhouse. Okay, so we got a Jock and Warren connection. I like it. I like it. Uh, and then you're, but what you made me, or what you said made me think that it's like, it does seem like the Giants... Uh, up and down the lineup have a lot of quiet like Darren Ruff strikes me as kind of quiet Kirk Casale strikes me as kind of quiet Joey Bart kind of does too um that that's kind of what I was I, thinking. I, don't, I don't think a catcher is ever truly quiet that's that's a great point that's a great point um, yeah. uh Mikey Stremski seems kind of quiet too I don't know it's a tough one um T- Tyro Estrada seems like he just lets his glove do the talking but uh yeah uh, Donovan Solano always struck me as the guy it's like that guy's not going to say anything and then when your back's turn you can hear him say to your back the meanest thing you've ever heard Like that's <laughs> always seemed like Donovan Solano's him anyway uh, so the quark part of it 
I mean, we can boil it down to who do you think is the greediest giant? <laughs> Man, that I mean, that is how you boil it down, right? <laughs> uh, but I mean, greedy, but kind of with a heart of gold. Right. Sort of. Right. So eventually. Then would, yeah, he was antagonistic to Odo. Odo was the chief of security on the station Deep Space Nine. So then who... So it'd have to be someone who is antagonistic. It doesn't have to even be Odo, just someone who's in, you know, like Brandon Belt's sort of antagonistic, but. Yeah, you know. I, mean, I was thinking Belt, uh, you know, and antagonistic towards the cop, whoever the cop is in the room. Well, it would have been Boji. It would have been Boji and, yeah. and Belt. It would have been, that would have been the dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think we have our answer on that we one. We have our answer. Were there any other questions? Uh, I mean, there were a couple more from the same guys there was uh because one of them was uh was where is it uh andrew Bader also asked what's brian's favorite part of taking out to the hollow suite <laughs> that's an episode of deep space nine where they they basically play a baseball game uh on the in star trek there's this thing called the holodeck which is basically a virtual reality environment you can go into a room and say computer uh new setting or Oracle Park, and it will put you in the middle of Oracle Park. Um, what was my favorite part of it? I have. It wasn't that long ago that I watched the episode either. So I think I I liked all of Cisco's storyline because his whole part was uh, I don't like. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of racist towards Vulcans, and I know it's based on my this one Vulcan I don't like. So I, I really need to just be, he's like, I just need to make it clear. I had a beef with all Vulcans because of this one Vulcan, but now it's, I just want to make it clear. It's this one Vulcan and he kind of, and that Vulcan challenges him to a baseball game because he knows that Cisco likes baseball. So he wanted to take his crew of superhumans or, you know, super beings. That's what Vulcans are stronger than humans. And he wanted to make Cisco look bad. Um, in front of his, in front of his senior officers, and Cisco gets thrown out of the game. I like his whole arc, and then at the end, he's like, "Let's just have fun," and I, I thought it was great. He helped, uh, right? He helped Rom get in the game. They scored yeah. a run. Yeah, yeah. Rom bunted for, uh, bunted for, bunted the run in. I don't know if it was a hit or it was just a squeeze. Um, and someone actually pointed out recently that uh, that Cisco's son Jake was the pitcher, and yes. he's like, you know, Jake giving up nine runs in nine innings to a to a team of superhumans is one of the greatest pitching performances of all time. Yes, that's right. Like, you know, that's a good point. It is. <laughs> yeah, I mean that we can't take away that Jake Cisco coming off the couch through a complete game against Vulcans. <laughs> And then, you know, they they use the Star Trek formula of, you know, all races are one way, all species have one characteristic and humans have multiple and they could use one of their multiple ones to beat. You know, so basically by having fun, they actually won was 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 the message of the episode. And it worked. I thought it worked. It, it's a it's kind of a sweaty premise, but they they pulled it off because it's Deep Space Nine and they were always good at that stuff. Um. Worf saying death to the opposition. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but yeah, that's, that's it. All right. So the, as, as I'm, as we're winding down, the giants are losing nine to nothing. 11, nothing. 11, nothing. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. My oh, spoiler, Google, Brian. Yeah. My, it hasn't <laughs> reset yet. Uh, so 
you know, this is, I tweeted earlier in the season, every setback is a four win game for the Giants. So the Cardinals are just setting themselves up for a hurt in that wild card round, best of five <laughs> or best of three, best of three. So Doug, do you have anything to plug? Anything you want to close with? Uh, yeah, visit my Substack, giantsdoug.substack.com. And then also please forget that I ranked Zach Littell high on my bullpen trust rankings. Uh, that didn't happen. That was an imposter. That was a changeling. That was Odo. Odo did that. And one final thing I must bring up is that our poll question from last week closed. Who is the most loathsome Dodger? Max Muncy won the McCovey Chronicles poll, 346 votes to 198 votes. But on our Twitter account, it was... Justin Turner, the people going with me, but but though that was only out of forty votes. If we, even if we add those vote totals in, it's Max Muncy is uh, is the most loathsome giant or Dodger, uh, and I would say, but he might be on the patch next year, so then he would be right. the most loathsome giant. Uh, so I don't know. Not surprised to you, Doug. He he he's the one you think about when you go to sleep at night. I I just don't care for Max Muncy, Brian. I don't <laughs> care for him. All right, and I don't care for the Giants losing tonight, so uh, end of the Giants talk for the day. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Have a good week, everybody.